If you'll please find a copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're looking at verse 57 and following. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1089. Just as a reminder, if you don't have a copy of God's Word of your own, we would love to give you one. We have uh, gorgeous copies of it uh, on, the, in the, on the table right outside the back double doors. And please take one with our compliments as you leave this morning. As you're able, if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 1, starting at 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who filled uh, Zechariah in this passage, that he would fill us and help us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. You know, it happened just like God said it would. It always does. You know, even the promised miraculous things. I think one of the reasons why the world doesn't like Christmas is it's because it's full of the supernatural. You can't have Christmas without the supernatural. There's certainly nothing natural about it. A single angel appears to Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. A great multitude of angels appear to the shepherds. A virgin is made pregnant and remains a virgin. An old woman gets pregnant and has a child safely. A father is rendered deaf and mute and then 
undeafened and unmuted at just the right time. A star appears in the sky at the Savior's birth, and then it stops, and then it goes, and then it stops again. Not to mention the unexplicable, the inexplicable, that God would come into the world. The world that had rebelled against Him in order to take to Himself a human nature that we might be saved. So that when the wise men came near to-ish from afar, that they beheld Emmanuel, God, with us. There's nothing natural about the Christmas story. And it all happened just the way God said it would. These things, these miraculous things were necessary because something miraculous was necessary to fix the problem that we faced. It was not just a big problem, it was an impossible problem. The impossible problem that we sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we didn't care, and that we liked the darkness, that we were under God's wrath and curse. Something big had to happen to fix the impossible. And so the impossible happened, the supernatural happened, that God came to this world to take our sins and to be raised after dying for them. It happened just the way that God said it would. It always does. He had a plan in order to do something about the problem, centered around the person and work of God the Son, His birth, His life, His death and resurrection. God had a plan to save you from your sins. And it happened just the way that God said it would. It always does. You know, to understand why John the Baptist, John the Baptist, that's who we're talking about today, the reason to, to figure out why he had to be born, we have to go back a little bit in history, actually 4,000 years ago, before the coming of Jesus, back to Adam and Eve. There really was a man named Adam, and there really was a woman named Eve. In fact, our salvation depends on the historicity of Genesis 1. We're going to be talking about that in January, by the way. Salvation depends that there was a guy named Adam and a woman named Eve, period. God created the universe and all that is in it in the space of six 24-hour days. And He made it perfectly. And the crown of His creation was Adam and Eve. Made in His image, made for fellowship with Him, living forever in perfect harmony and peace. But you know, things happen just the way God says they do. That includes the great consequence that they faced when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they sinned, they brought sin into the world, they gave in to temptation, things happened just like God said they would. The world was broken, creation was falling, death entered into the world, and first and foremost, Adam and Eve, their relationship with God was broken. If you want to know why we live in a world of tension, in a world of pain, in a world of hurt, it all goes back to that moment. It goes back to that historic moment. But there's great news. Because the light of the world was coming. He was coming into the world to fix the unfixable. He was going to do the impossible, as the angel Gabriel said, for nothing shall be impossible with God. And so in Genesis 3.15, what's called the first gospel, the proto Evangelion, first gospel. We have God as he curses Adam, Eve, and the serpent. There's this great promise that things aren't always going to be like this. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Messiah was coming who was going to undo all the wrong that had happened. And so we get the Old Testament. We get 4,000 years of history preparing uh, all of history for the coming of the Savior. I remember we had an artificial tree growing up, and it was one of the old school ones. You know, it had the green metal pole. You know what I'm talking about? And it had, and it, and it had the color-coded branches, and it took like three hours to put up. And you started with the pole, and then you put the color-coded branches in the individual slots, hoping that you didn't lose yet another one from last year. And little bit by little bit, it went from a metal pole to an ugly Christmas tree, right? And you hoped you had enough lights to make it look half decent. Well, that's kind of how it worked in the Old Testament. That, that little bit by little bit, branches were put on the metal pole, that by the end of the Old Testament, when it's finally completed, completely written by the end of the 5th century B.C., uh, we, we have a picture of the coming Messiah. And uh, long lay the world in sin and error pining. You know, pining means it means longing for, longing for, pining for the coming of the Messiah. Things to begin to bust loose. Well, the first thing that really had to bust loose, the, thing, the, the preliminary thing that had to happen was the coming of a supporting character. Supporting character was John the Baptist. Now, he had been foretold all over the Old Testament, but there are two specific places where we're told there's this figure that's going to come and to herald the coming of the Messiah into the world. Isaiah 40, verse 3, which was our call to worship this morning, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, may straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, this refers to John the Baptist. We know this because this is what... Um, this is what John the Baptist says about himself. When the Levites and the priests, when John the Baptist had his preaching ministry, you know, he was wearing strange clothes, eating strange things. Uh, he's out in the wilderness, and the priests and Levites come, and they say, who are you? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. You know, it's hard for us to get our heads around the elapse of time when we read chunks of the Bible, though it may be a centimeter apart in your Bible, that's actually about 700 years. 700 some odd years before Christ came, before John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit inspired the prophet Isaiah to talk about John the Baptist, and guess what? He comes. He's here. Malachi 4.5 is the other main prophecy about him. We read, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. We know this refers specifically to John the Baptist because Gabriel says it does. When he appeared to Zechariah right before he's about to make him deaf and dumb in the temple, he says about his son John, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and this disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Why does this matter? Because it happened the way God said it would. It always does. He was crafting all of history to get to this point. His plan was unchangeable, it couldn't be threatened, and it was for you and for His glory. This last week, we, uh, we had two great parties. The youth had their, um, their dirty Santa party, and then the go-getters had their dirty Santa party. I, I was blessed to get to go to both. 
And I noted, man, these gifts are a lot different from each other. You know, <laughs> the age range, uh, it, made, it made a difference. Uh, but they were both fantastic, so much fun. They were planned by master event planners. We, we just have some real skilled ladies in our church who put these things together. You know, but as good as they are, they can't control time. They can't change the flow of history. And this is what our Savior did. This is what our God did. Just like you would change, who can change the, the path of a river? Well, our God can. He, can, he changed everything. He, he made it so that it was all flowing to this point, all of history, to the coming of Christ. And so now we finally arrive at the time for John's birth. And it happened just the way that God said it would. And first, there's the fact that Elizabeth gives birth. Look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. I love that language. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth. Y'all, the time for Elizabeth to give birth was decades before this. She was an old, barren woman. The way of, of women had passed from her, and they had long given up. The time was long ago. And yet, the time was now. By the way, just as an aside, it seems that Mary was probably there for John's birth. We don't know this for sure, but most likely. The, the timing works out well. She stayed with Elizabeth for three months after Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Surely she didn't leave the night before he was born. In verse 58, we read her neighbors were pumped. They were excited. Wouldn't you be excited? And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. The Greek literally says that the Lord had magnified his mercy to her. This is mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Don't you, don't you know her emotions? Can't you just put yourself in, that, in her shoes of, of sitting there, holding John in her arms, nursing him, after she had gone so long and born in that culture, the shame of not having a child. It was very serious in those days. Well, Elizabeth and Zechariah are both really godly people. And we see that she is obedient on her part. It always happens the way God says it will. Uh, it helps when we're obedient. Uh, it smooths things over from our perspective really well. And so it was time to, for him to be circumcised, and that was the day that Jewish uh, babies were named, or boys were named. And so on the eighth day, everyone gathered together. It was a big party. And according to convention, they, were, they should have been named after his, after his father, Zechariah. But she said, no, his name is John. And they said, what in the world? You're not related to anybody named John. That's not even in the baby book, right? Why are you naming him John? You know, when God has a plan, nothing can change it. That isn't to say that we can't make it harder or easier on ourselves. Have you ever found that to be true? You look back and think, that would have gone a lot better if I just said, yes, sir. You know, there certainly is tension between God's sovereignty and our ability to choose. Those, those things are real. Both things are true. The scripture says so. Um, but this child was going to be named John, even if Elizabeth and Zechariah had gone rogue and named him Chuck, right? He was going to be named John. But thankfully, they didn't name him Chuck. It was John. And it all happened the way God said it would. It always does. They turn to Zechariah, and here we learn that, that he's been made not just mute, but also deaf. They had to make signs to him to say, what do you want this child to be named? And he, you remember, Zechariah had gotten himself in a little trouble. Uh, 
he had been in the temple praying. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. A priest who was chosen to go into the temple to pray was chosen once in his life, and his name was taken out of the hat after that point. This was one chance. He stood on duty for two weeks, and, uh, and, and he was praying before the incense altar, before the, the, the tent that went, or the, the curtain that went before the Holy of Holies, and bam, there's Gabriel. And he was a little afraid. And he said, hey, you're going to have this child and do all this stuff. And he says, huh, how am I going to know that? And Gabriel, I love it. In the Southern translation, it's, look, you dummy, uh, I, I stand in the presence of God. And now you'll be, you'll be unable to speak until the day of his birth. Well, before we browbeat Zechariah too much, he was actually a really good guy. We learn, actually, in Luke 1, 6, that Elizabeth were both righteous before God. They were blameless according to God's commandments. No, here's a man who responded a lot like we do sometimes. When God says, this is how it's going to be, and we say, are you sure? Thankfully, God's going to make the final decision. He needed the coming of Mary's son, just like we do. And Zechariah had plenty of time to think about what he was going to say when he could finally talk. And so, verse 63, we read, And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. You know, we're, we're used to turning things on and off a lot more in our day than they were in Zechariah's day. We have remotes turn a TV up or down, open a garage door, and even unlock cars. But God didn't have to use a remote to turn his speech back on. It happened just like God said it would. You know, whereas Zechariah responded with praise, the crowds didn't know what to do with this. I really thought about changing my sermon today. Um, talk about all the fear that's in the Christmas story. Go and, go and read Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 1. And count how many times the word fear shows up. To us, a cute, cuddly baby, we, we miss something because people were afraid. Look at this. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, thankfully we have the answer, by the way, to what this child will be. In Zechariah's prophecy in verses 67 through 80, what this child will be will be a, a herald, a messenger. He'll be the last Old Testament prophet who will come to lay the groundwork for the Messiah and what he has come to do. You'll notice that Zechariah's words are very similar in structure to Mary's words, the Magnificat we looked at last week, 46 through 55. These are called nativity hymns. They really are Old Testament psalms. That's, that's how they're crafted. They were both inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. But we see that Zechariah here, his prophecy, it's interesting, if, if you had spent all that time, nine plus months without speaking, and you're holding a child of your barren wife, you, you might congratulate her. You might like wonder where the flowers are you ordered for her. You might interact with her some. He opens his mouth, he praises God, and he praises God for Jesus. Not even for John. He highlights what this means in the grand drama of God's redemption for his people. 
It can be divided into two sections, 68 through 76. And the, the first bit, God blesses, excuse me, Zechariah blesses God for the one to whom John will point. The Messiah has yet to be born, but here his psalm of praise is all about Jesus' soon arrival. But I want you to note, especially as we look at it, uh, how Zechariah bases all of these things upon what God said he would do. Now, overarching theme today is that it happened just the way God said it would. It always does. And Zechariah is real keen to make those connections. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 72, to remember his holy covenant. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Father Abraham lived about 2,200 years before this. You know, we'll, we often make promises that we forget, you know, especially if it's more than a couple days. God had made a promise to Abraham that he would send one of Abraham's seed, one of his offspring, to, to save a great nation of people like you and me. And he made that promise 2,200 years before this moment, and God always makes good on his promises. It was going to happen just the way that God said it would. It always does. But there's more information about here, about what God will do through John. We see this in verses 76 through 77, where Zechariah says that John will be a, the prophet of the Most High. Um, you know, when the angels say, glory to God in the highest, that's what it, we're talking about the same thing here, to the highest God, uh, to the God who is over all things, of whom there is no rival. Uh, that, that's the language of here. Now, verse 77 gives us the mission of what John is to go and do, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. What was John's ministry? It was to preach. It was to go and say, hey, the Messiah is coming. Salvation is on its way. Don't you love that there's forgiveness of sins? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Y'all, there is no forgiveness for sins outside of Christ. I mean, Christ is necessary for salvation. But, but, but the point I want to make here right now is that this is what we have to offer people. It is that, that people in this world will do everything they can do to make peace with their past. And we all have baggage, by the way. If you don't have baggage, you just, you just haven't looked hard enough. We all got baggage, right? We all have stories. But, but there's something that Christ offers, and, and that's the forgiveness, the wiping away of our record. You know, we can distract ourselves only so much. You can drink yourself to oblivion only so much. At the end of the day, it is Christ who says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is no other rest. We look for it everywhere, but rest is in Christ. 78 through 79, we have more information about God's plan of redemption through His Son. Such precious verses. Because of the tender mercy of God, aren't you thankful God is merciful? We deserve a lot of bad stuff. But God, because of his tender mercy, the love with which he loved us, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
What an amazing image we have here. We are those who are sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. Darkness is not a good thing in Scripture. It's not an image of anything good. It's a condition of danger, of fear, of hopelessness, of pining away with no human help in sight, to be defined by delusion, depravity, and despondency, according to one commentator. It involves ignorance, but scriptural ignorance is combined with complicity in our own sin as we are dead in the trespasses and sins, right? As we want nothing to do with God, as we are sitting in darkness and don't even know it. And it's to those people who are sitting in darkness, the sunrise, the sunrise comes. Not, not, a, not a candle, not even an LED light. But the sun, the sun comes and shines in our heart because the sun, the light of the world, has come into this world to bring light to those who sit in darkness. And we look for light in other ways. We pursue lesser, dimmer lights. But you know, if we had a thousand candlewatt uh, flashlight and we put it up next to a candle, you could hardly even see the candle flame because in the brighter light, it pales. And and this is true of our Savior, that He is the light of the world. And we were sitting in darkness. In the shadow of death, I was talking with a youth, and and one of the youth came, I had never thought about this part. We were talking about what does it mean to be in the shadow of death. And they said, under the control of, to be under the pale of, to to be oppressed by death. And this is what our Savior came to free us from, from spiritual death and physical death. That, that one day when Christ comes in His second advent, we will never die again. That we will live forever with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. That's how big His redemption plan really is. He came to bring hope and joy and peace and salvation. Well, we live on this side of the manger this side of the cross, this side of the empty tomb, this side of his ascension back into heaven, of him being enthroned in heaven on high, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And y'all, it happened all like God said it would. But there's another part of celebrating Advent, isn't it? Isn't there? Instead of looking back, we look forward. As we celebrate the first coming, we anticipate the second. And it is easy to think that because God tarries, because God seems to have delayed, that it will never happen. And y'all, I want it so badly this year. It's been a lot of darkness. I so, I so want it badly this year. For the light of the world to come and to finally and fully make all things right. To make all things new. But just as they waited for the first coming of the Messiah... And they, they waited a long time, longer than they ever wanted. In fact, most folks, I think, have given up. It happened just like it would, it, it, it happened just like God said it would back then. And y'all, it will happen just like God said it would. He will return. And I yearn for that day. Let's pray. So, Lord Christ, come back, please. Oh, Lord Christ, come and come quickly. That these pilgrim days might come to an end, that our wandering days in exile that we would finally be ushered in uh, to the true Canaan, to the true promised land. We thank you that it happened just the way God said it would. Amen.
We'll conclude our service with 138, Go Tell It on the Mountain. We'll sing verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2. Let's stand and sing.